0: Welcome to everyone this morning, especially visitors that we would have and just um, I would just invite you to look past the guy standing here and somehow look to God what he would have you uh, to get out of this morning's message. <clears throat> I don't know, Davy asked me maybe two two months ago or more if I would bring the message this morning, and so I've been thinking about it and praying about it. I started praying about it right away, and I felt that God was leading me to, to speak on a particular subject, and so I started working on it, and um, last Sunday, Jonathan brought a message that was kind of close to what I what God was uh, laying on my heart, but um, I talked to Jonathan about it, and he said, well, he just encouraged me to go ahead anyway. So it's a little different um, gist or, or direction. But um, I have a number of scriptures this morning, so I would invite you to have your Bibles ready. Uh, we'll be turning to a number of scriptures. I'll be reading um, some. Are you a conservative or are you a liberal this morning? Now, I don't plan to uh, speak where... The, where, you would, where maybe your mind went. Um, I'm not talking about a particular political view. We call ourselves conservative Christians. Why do we call ourselves conservative Christians? What does it mean? If you look it up in a dictionary, you might get a definition, something like narrow-focused, following a strict code of ethics found in the scriptures. And I think for the most part, that describes us pretty well. Conservative Christians believe that the whole Bible needs to be followed specifically and that application to the principles there need to be followed in everyday life and generally that the world and its liberal mindset needs to be shunned. And in our rules and discipline, um, right on the first page, it's actually on page three, it says, we believe in the plenary, or that means complete, And verbal inspiration of the Bible is the word of God, that it is authentic in its matter, authoritative in its counsels, inerrant in the original writings, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. So that's pretty narrow-focused. At least, there would be people in the world that think that was very narrow-focused. But that's what we believe. So yes, we're conservative in many ways says, we believe that the Bible is inerrant in its original writings. The world tends to believe in man and his accomplishments, science, and even believes in their own selves to some extent. We call that the humanistic point of view. The world tends to be accepting of, of whatever feels good makes you look good at the time. Conservative Christians focus on the Bible, and order their lives based on its teaching. But this morning, I want us to entertain the thought that as conservative Christians, there are times when we are called to be liberal. What does the word liberal mean now? Liberal can mean a number of things, as you might guess. One definition could be broad-minded, not bound by orthodox or traditional forms, or being in favor of government, being involved in social and political change. And that's kind of what we think of liberal, the word liberal when we think of it politically. But it can also mean, and this is what I want you to get, one who is marked by generosity, open-handed, or given in a generous and open-handed way. And this is a definition that I want us to think about this morning. So, we as Christians are conservative in the way that we hold to the Bible as the only infallible rule of faith and practice, And since we believe this about the Bible, we also believe that the teachings of the Bible about having a Christ-like love for others and and generous giving are to be lived out in a practical way in our lives. And this is the liberal that I want to look at this morning. I've entitled the message, Christian Liberality. In the Old Testament, loving and living liberally was commanded by God. God gave commands like, In Deuteronomy 6, 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And you might recognize those verses in Mark, Mark chapter 12. Jesus calls those verses, those commands, the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord thy God and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Another one of the commands of the law of the Old Testament was the tithe. Tithe, the word tithe means 10%. God required the tithe in the Old Testament, but he also expected liberal givings and offerings on top of the tithe. Leviticus 2730 says, and this is from the NIV, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And Numbers 18.21 says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here we have two commandments for the tithe, and there were numerous other commands. If you want to, just something interesting to look up, look that up sometime. There's a lot of references to the tithe in the Old Testament. And there were even multiple tithes. It seems like there were multiple tithes that the children of Israel were commanded to give. You may turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 16. And I would like to read... Deuteronomy 16, and I would like to read verses 16 and 17. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So these, this is talking about offerings, offerings that were above the tithe. And look, it says, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God. So it's how God, according to how God had blessed them, they were to give. Turn to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. <coughs> and I would like to read... Exodus 5 uh, 35 29 The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses now this is Moses after he received from God the how he was to build the tabernacle he went to the children of Israel and asked the children of Israel to bring a bunch of offerings, and these were tangible offerings—tangible things to bring to help with the um, building of the tabernacle. They were free will offerings, and then turn over, just flip over to chapter 36. So this is where he asked them in 35 and 36. I'd like to read from verses 2 through 7. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, every even every one whose heart stirred him up to come into the work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that brought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from giving. For the stuff they had was was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much." So that's kind of an encouragement. The, the children of Israel really responded to this. Um, now, we look at a lot of negative things in the children of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness, but they really responded to this, and they brought too much. And I just thought that was an interesting thing uh, there. Um, today, um, yeah, does this sound like conservative or liberal giving here? And, um just leave you with that question. Also, God called the Israelites to be open handed toward their fellow Israelites. Deuteronomy 15. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy 15. And I would like to read verses 7 through 11. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need, and that what he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand. And thy eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. For he cry unto the Lord, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him... And and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor thou shalt never cease, for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thy hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor and to thy needy in thy land. God commanded that every seven years the, all debts were to be forgiven. All the debts were to be canceled. So here, he was warning them that, in my words, in the sixth year, if your brother came and needed some money, and you, he needed, they asked you to lend him some money, that that knowledge that in one year all that money uh, was going to be forgiven, that wasn't supposed to make any difference. So even though these Israelites knew that... This was going to end up being possibly a gift. That wasn't supposed to make any difference. Today we are not under this law, but are there parallels we can draw for this for us today? Are there blessings for living open-handed, even if we may not get it in return? Yes, there are. Maybe not blessings the way our flesh would desire. and That's what he's warning them here. But he's trying to tell them that there is blessing. God is able to bless us. He's willing to bless the giver. And he's willing to bless the receiver in many ways for giving liberally. Now I would invite you to Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament. So keep in mind all these commands for the tithe and for offering in the Old Testament. Malachi was a prophet after the Israelites had returned from captivity and were reestablishing temple worship. And it's not very long after they had... So the Israelites were taken into captivity for some of the problems that we're going to read about here. It's not very long after they came back and they already had some problems. Um, They were already becoming lax in their worship or in obeying God's law exactly. Um, <clears throat> one of the problems that Malachi addressed was a problem with the people's giving. They were becoming, and here's this, I'm going to use this word conservative in their giving. Um, and I think you'll understand it as we read. Look at chapter 1, and um, I'd like to read verses 6 through 8. And he's talking here to the priests, first of all. He said, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priests, that despise my name? And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. So the priests were not offering their best to God. But we would call it second-rate stuff. And the Lord had commanded many times that it was the best. No animal with a blemish. Only the best from whatever they they offered unto the Lord. They were offering ones that were crippled and lame, it says. But look at verse 8. Malachi says, <coughs> Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? He says, Not even the, the governor of the land, not even, not even your earthly would, would be accepted with this, how much less me. Turn over to chapter 3, and I would like to read uh, from verses 6 through 13. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Now here he's talking to the children of Israel, not to the priests anymore. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If, ye will not open, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there, shall be enough, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit, before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed, and ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And I'll stop there. Here God says that Israelites themselves were robbing him. They weren't giving him his full due. They were, in essence, stealing from God, is what he's saying. They were robbing God so that they could buy what they wanted. Now, I know we find ourselves in a different time in which in, in, then in which they found themselves here. But can we do this today? Do we have this tendency today? Yes, I believe we do. We say things like, I can't give right now because it takes everything I make to live. Wait a minute. Are we sure that our style of living hasn't increased to keep up with our income? We are among the richest folks on the planet. We think we need all the toys and things that the world around us has. We have to have the latest houses, the latest cars, the best stuff, like everyone else, because we need to fit in. I mean, how are we going to witness if we don't fit in? In the New Testament, we don't have the command for the tithe. But could it be that we, like the Israelites, are robbing or stealing from God? And and maybe this is, you would say this is going too far, but I want you to think about it. Maybe we are living in stolen houses and driving stolen cars. Are we keeping back some of the money that we should be giving to God so that we can buy what we want? If we are robbing God today, how can we expect God to bless us? How can we expect to feel close to God if we are living tight-fisted? In verses 10 and 11, God promises to bless them even if they, if they would start obeying his laws and, in my words, living open-handedly again. Will God do the same for us? Now let's look at the New Testament and look at what Jesus had to say about this subject when he was here on earth. Turn to Matthew 19. Here we find the parable of the rich, we call it the rich young ruler, or we might say the rich young man, as it says in my Bible here. In Matthew, we find this in a couple different of the um, Gospels. I would like to read from verses 16 to 22. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. And if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. so lost my place what was this man's root problem was it not that he loved the world more than he loved God and the things of the world in this case maybe money and assets did he do we really believe that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all our hearts, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, he said he, he kept that commandment. Does our giving reflect that this is what we believe? If we really do love the Lord more than anything else in the world, would it make a difference in the way we related to fellow Christians? And would it make a difference in how much we gave? I invite you next to Matthew 25, just over a few chapters. Matthew 25, and I'd like to read from verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a sheep shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger and you gave me meat; I was thirsty and you gave me drink; I was a stranger and you took me in; naked and you clothed me; I was sick and you visited me; I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw the we Saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink." I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal." So this is a pretty familiar chapter, and we're familiar with it. The story is, I think, fairly straightforward. Jesus was teaching that the ones that will make it to heaven are ones that see opportunities to love and bless someone else, and then out of a heart of true Christ-like love, provide the assistance that they need. Do you think it is possible that the ones on the left never even saw these opportunities to take? Maybe because they were too self-focused. Are we missing opportunities today because we are too self-focused? Or I might say conservative-focused. In this story, we are called to act liberally toward opportunities that Christ puts in our way. Turn to Luke 3. This is... um, Teachings of John the Baptist, Luke 3, 7 through 11, is what I would like to read. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. And for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees, Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Are we following this way of life today? Not because we feel like we need to, but out of a true heart of love for Christ. John the Baptist says, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. And we can make a lot of application from that scripture. Luke 6, 38, you don't need to turn there, says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Is this a liberal or a conservative giving that Jesus was teaching here? Now I invite you to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, and I would like to look a little at chapter 8, and then a little at chapter 9. Here is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, is a wonderful example for us in liberal giving. Paul is acting as a deacon here and trying to stir up liberal giving giving from the Christians at Corinth. Pay close attention to what he says in chapter 8. Paul has some challenging thoughts for us, and I would like to read chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So keep in mind here, he's trying to encourage people to give, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace there also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in love your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also, and that's the grace of giving. <clears throat> apparently, there were saints in Jerusalem who were experiencing some severe poverty, and Paul was challenging these Corinthians of Corinth to give generously. And um, they had given before, apparently, and he was asking for more liberally more. First, he compares them with the Macedonians. Um, Verse 1, he compares them. The Macedonians were, when compared to Corinthians, poor. That's what I found in a commentary. And yet, he says they gave liberally. Paul is calling the Corinthians to give liberally also. Not so much that they became poor themselves, but he encouraged them to give according to their means. And that's not what is left over, I might just add. Does giving according to our means giving what we have sorry I ran ahead. Does giving according to our means giving what we have left over, or does it mean giving out of a heart of love until we have to make sacrifices ourselves? Let's turn to chapter nine. Now um, you think that I am strong talking to you this morning. Put yourselves in the Corinthian shoes as we read read this here. And uh, see, I don't have written down what how much I wanted to read. <clears throat> we'll just start at chapter nine at the beginning. For as touching the ministering of the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you, of them to them of Macedonia. That Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in his behalf. That as I said, ye may be ready. Lest haply if they of Macedonia come unto me and find you unprepared that, that we say not ye should be ashamed of this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as covetousness. But this I say. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And I'll stop there. I appreciate Paul's challenge in these two chapters, and if you want to read these from the NIV, it, it, it makes it a little more clear, I think, um, that he was challenging them that, his, that this gift that he was asking them to give was not to come out of just because Paul commanded it, out of his command, but it, that it rather should come out of a heart of love, a heart of love for Christ and Christ's church. Verse 7 says, every man according to his, his purpose in his heart, cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Um, verses 12 and 13 says, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men." So Paul says here that it's not only the actual money that's going to be a blessing here. um, But it will cause the receivers to be thankful to God. So the receivers are going to be thankful to God as well as the givers. Verse 13 from the NIV says, Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Or, in my words, the brothers would draw closer together and be built up as each one received the blessing, whether a giver or a receiver. Turn to Ephesians 4. No, I'm sorry, I'm just going to read that and have you turn to another one. Ephesians 4:28 says, Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hand the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. How often, when presented with an opportunity to liberally give out of love, do we say something like, I would like to help, but I need to make a living. I'm not trying to diminish that we need to make a living, and yet where's our first love? What does this verse say about why we should work? It says, so we can have to give to him that needeth. Now I'll turn to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm kind of working my way through the Bible, if you notice. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, and I would like to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So here we are not to trust in riches. It says we we are to be ready to distribute, Willing to communicate, the NIV says, rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. So that's a, what's that meaning there. Does this sound like liberal, open-handed, or conservative, tight-fisted giving? And then finally, I have one more scripture, First John chapter 3. I would invite you to First John chapter 3. And I would like to read from verses 11 through 18. 1 John 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that he heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life, because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother hateth his brother; is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This is one of the best passages I know to describe what we are talking about here this morning. First, we have the example of Cain. And and we look at that and say, that that, that seems maybe it's like a far out example. We wouldn't ever kill anyone. But look at verse 16. And I just will read that again. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Speaking of Jesus, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know what liberal love is to look like? Jesus Christ. He was willing to come to this sinful earth and die for some mighty, unlovely people like you and like me. He laid down his life. Look at what it says we should be doing for our brothers. We also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And this means truly, if it comes to that, our lives. But it means much more than that. Giving. Giving in many ways. We should have the kind of love that we are willing to lay it down, lay it down our lives if it comes to, comes to that. If we have this kind of love, what do you think our giving will look like? Verse 18 Says, my little children, let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So I don't preach this message to you this morning because I think that you all are really lacking. I think we are a very giving church. But we live in a world, we live in a in a very, well, let's just say it, we're all rich, no matter where we find ourselves this morning in comparison to many, of much of the world. And there are Christians throughout the world. Um, We are especially called to help fellow Christians. So my challenge is this morning that I leave with you is to consider the love which God and his son, Jesus, had and have for you. Consider Christ's command to love others like he loved them, and as much as Consider Christ's commands to love others like he loved them and as much as we love ourselves. And then let's let this love flow out of us in the form of liberal giving, financially, or it could be a giving of time. But it needs to come from a genuine heart of love, not just because we are commanded to. And you know, as I read through the Old Testament, that just hit me that seems like time and time again they failed but it just seemed like they had a command and it wasn't coming out of a heart and we have today we have the greatest example Jesus Christ that laid down his life for us no amount of giving will get us to heaven if it is not done from the right motive so let's be conservative in our use of scripture and liberal as it relates to loving and giving And I was struck in the Sunday school lesson this morning. As we let God's love flow through us and live a liberal, giving life, it can be a tremendous light to the world, which is what our Sunday school lesson was on this morning. May the Lord bless you. Let's have a song.